Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Very pleased to welcome John Tarwater back to the table. John recently shared with our church here at Grace Baptist Church uh, a message from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, as we see Jesus presented as the promised Messiah. And as we'll see here a little bit later, he, uh, as the Messiah, he deals with a lot of uh, things that he has to deal with there in Jerusalem. So, John, it's good to have you back with us. Great to have you. Bart, thank you for the uh, invite, and glad to be back here around the table. Well, we always enjoy getting together with you, and uh, let's just uh, jump in here, John. You, you referenced the fact that Matthew, of the four gospel writers, shares the most Old Testament scripture to prove Jesus' identity. starts there from chapter 1, verse 1, actually, in that, and it continues through the, uh, through the book. I'm thinking there are people in the, our congregation, people throughout, and uh, I'm one of them. Uh, I don't have quite as much education as you. Got a lot of experience over the years, but there are people who just get real frustrated. And I can probably see people sitting in the pews thinking, okay, yeah, I'm not sure where he's getting that. Oh, never saw that before. And I wonder, can you help us, give us an idea and give us some hope? Uh, how can that person work to continue to develop a, a an understanding of Scripture, so that they too can just can see some of these things. Well, first thing I would say to the individual is they should take some comfort that they're not alone. I think back to when I became a Christian. At the time, I was 12 years old, which is kind of humorous for me to think about. For <laughs> what was going through my mind is. All of my friends had already been baptized, and they were regular attenders of church. Uh, my family, we were attending maybe once every three or four weeks or whatever. And so when I started coming regularly and became a Christian, the thing that went through my mind was all of my friends know so much Bible, and I didn't know the difference between Abraham and David and Moses, Paul, who's in the New Testament, who's in the Old Testament. And so my mom had got me one of those uh, living Bibles, just a paraphrase. And I remember thinking, I've got to read this thing because I am so far behind. And I would sit on my couch night after night and, mm. and read that uh, new living Bible. Um, what I found out in about six weeks is that I knew more Bible than all of my friends that I thought <laughs> knew, <laughs> knew the whole Bible. But, but that anecdote reminds us that nothing helps you make connections in God's Word better than spending time in God's Word. And here at Grace, we have so many opportunities for the person to be involved in an adult Bible fellowship or a Sunday school class, a small group Bible study. Or I think most helpful is just regular exposure to the preached Word, uh, where you're going to hear those connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament or uh, the books themselves. If a person wanted to go a little further, they could check out the aid of a maybe a a single book that is a commentary. Uh, we have a, a professor at the university who's also a lay pastor here at the, uh, the church whose name is Chris Miller. He actually has an online class that anyone can see for free that walks them through the entire Old Testament. And there's nothing more exciting than to start to see the connections of how the books in the Old Testament fit together and then how those books are related to the ones in the New Testament. As you're talking, I'm remembering a book that I read a number of years ago, I believe by Malcolm Gladwell, 
and he studied in this book outliers he called it but he studied virtuosos in many different fields uh, the arts and uh and whatever field it might be i don't think he got to preachers but uh, <laughs> anyway he came up with the the idea from his uh, an understanding from his research that it takes about 10,000 hours for somebody to achieve that level where they really have an absolute command when they walk up to something and just know it told a number of different stories that were just fascinating but not that I have 10,000 hours here this year to devote to the study of the Scripture, but it just resounds in my mind that, you know what, I can start now. I can start now, and I can talk. I can think about how much I've grown over the past 35 years or so of studying the Scripture, and I'm a lot better off, and I trust that here in 20 years, if the Lord allows me that time, that I'll be even further along, but just being diligent to do what you're saying, being diligent to do what I do. I just want to encourage the person to do it, not in our minds. Sometimes we're saying, hey, I would like to know more. But the idea is once we start seeing the connections, it becomes a heart thing, and you begin to see more about what God's Word is saying about you as an individual as well as about who God is. And uh, we get a greater understanding of the lostness of our sin, how wicked we are, and how great and gracious and merciful is our God. So just press on. I won't ask you this question, I'll ask it rhetorically, but when was the last time that you, who've been a Christian for 30-some years, I'm guessing (laughs) close to 40, I'm guessing, from your story, but when was the last time that you had an aha moment in the scriptures. How many times this have morning. I done it? Okay, there you go. But the the point is, it does come, and the Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us with what he, what we have. John, you said in verse twelve, or, or we studied in verse twelve. There's just a couple of uh, verses here, but we see Jesus's anger. Uh, we call uh, often use this to uh, describe a righteous anger. I don't have a question about whether or not it was appropriate how he responded as far as overturning the money changers' tables and, and all that he did there in verse 12 and following. But I do have a question about, is is this a pattern we should follow? Uh, good question, Bart. Uh, one thing I would say is that our passage this week covered 17 verses in Matthew chapter 21. And the anger passage, if I can call it that, it was verses 12 and 13. So. But that's what got my attention, John. <laughs> I know. It, it's the two out of 17. And so just to put the weight, uh, we had the first seven verses that we're talking about. And Jesus was humble and gentle and mounted on a donkey. And so I think just the, the weight of the passage is on the humility and the gentleness of Jesus. Nevertheless, that passage was there. And we think that it really did happen or God's word wouldn't record it. And one of the things that we do in understanding God's Word is we distinguish between texts that are descriptive in nature and those that are prescriptive. Is it describing something for us historically that happened, or is it imploring us as the reader that we ought to take it as a pattern and mm-hmm. to, to do something? For example, few people would read Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 and go away with the idea that, man, I need to go build an ark. And so um, (laughs) nevertheless, if you read Exodus 20, you should go away thinking, I should not murder and I should not steal. And so uh, just making that distinction, I think it's pretty clear that in this passage, the part that we're supposed to pattern is that God's house, the church, is a place of worship. This is a place that we encounter the God of the universe, and because of that encounter, we go away different. 
And so I think that's where the weight and the pattern is. Mm. Okay, great. Well, thanks for clearing that up. And, and while we're on that topic, John uh, shares a similar passage. It's there starting in chapter 2, verse 13 of John's gospel. Passage talks about Jesus, quote, cleansing the temple. Is that the same circumstance that we see here in Matthew's account? Uh, excellent question. Interestingly, I think we see authors, they fall into, uh, authors, scholars fall into three camps. There are those that would say, uh, John got it right. It happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and somehow Matthew, Mark, and Luke missed it. They moved it. And perhaps they moved it because each of the authors were trying not to necessarily give us a, an historic account of Jesus' life. I mean, if it were, yeah, if it were a history, they, they were they're pretty poor histories because you know Mark and Luke or Mark and John, there's no birth narratives. Mm-hmm. So are we to assume that in this history Jesus was never born? <laughs> you know, and then uh, they both spend, as I noted in the message Sunday, about half their gospel on the last week of his life. So whatever the gospels are, they're not mere histories, but the events they talk about are historical and real. So they've chosen these events in his life to demonstrate some purpose, some point, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To demonstrate that, John has moved it to the front, and some people think he got it right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some think they got it right, and John moved it, and he was wrong. But there's a smaller group of scholars who would say, I think all four Gospels got it right, that it happened at the beginning and it happened at the end. And uh, while no one knows the exact answer, if somebody were holding a, a gun to me and said, you have to choose John, I would probably fall in that last group. I would say it happened in J- John at the beginning and it happened, like Matthew said, at the end. Well, it's interesting. I, I appreciate the way you've described this and explained it. Uh, this gets back to, to continuing to read the Scriptures, knowing and developing a sense about when maybe something's been moved. But it also speaks to the veracity of scripture, no matter what it says, you can trust scripture. Sometimes you have to think outside of our Western box <laughs> of thinking, right? Uh, how many times have you had? Well, scripture's full of errors. I've heard that so many times, but there are good, good uh, reasoning uh, that can describe. Okay, this isn't necessarily. Would it be true to say too? You can't always dis- you can't always explain away every problem in Scripture. That's right. This would not be one of those issues that if somebody said, no, it really did happen at the the end. They're not saying John was, there's an error that he put at the beginning because they acknowledged that he chose to put it there right. for a thematic purpose. Uh, not, but if somebody chose that position, I wouldn't say, well, there's a non-Christian, you know, they right. rejected part of God's word or something like that. Very good. Well, uh, John, you referenced that the people were treating that which is holy as common. I think that's a pretty close quote. Uh, I tried to get a quotation there. Certainly there are parallels between then and now. There's nothing new under the sun, uh, Ecclesiastes tells us. What are some of the ways that we treat what is holy common? Some of the things you might point out to us. When I think about the the actual event that we're talking about is that there were people who were traveling miles in order to worship at the temple there in Jerusalem. And it's not like they could get on the train or something like that. And traveling these long distances, sometimes it's impractical, if not impossible, to to bring a sheep or a goat or whatever it is you need to uh, these long distances, or if you if you're trying to make some type of offering and uh, money, you've got to exchange your money to the money that's used in the temple. And so, to have a place where the people could come to town 
and purchase those animals and exchange that money, uh, I would say that's a good thing. Uh, And even if they had it at the temple, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. What made it bad was that that event became the end and not the means. That is, we want to help people to come and worship, and this is a means for making it happen. I think what angered Jesus was that the buying and selling became the end. And so if we look at examples in our own church, we'd say there's other good things that happen here at the church. (laughs) One thing that I enjoy is we have fellowships. There's food. food. (laughs) Right, right. That's right. For those of you who aren't uh, in the holy language, fellowship (laughs) means chicken or fellowship (laughs) means hamburgers. Chickens Um, will die at the next uh, We have We have a a class for uh, young families or individuals to come and exercise. We started a new class this past week for those who are going through a period in their life of grief and pain. Those are all good things. But if this becomes all that the church is about, fellowships, exercise groups, Mm. I believe Jesus would be equally indignant. The house of God is a place of worship. It's where we encounter God and we're changed because of it. When you say that, I wonder too, let me ask you this, can we not get so caught up, we talked about knowledge, building knowledge. Can we not get built up in building knowledge? Can we not get built up and uh, using uh, opportunities to serve in the wrong way? That, that's, that strikes my mind as well. In fact, this is actually getting into the next sermon that Brother Tim will be preaching Sunday. So this is a segue into that. Are there times that there can be activities at the church, <laughs> a lot of busyness, uh, the temple? busyness, you know, uh, but that busyness is somehow disconnected from the head, Jesus Christ. And uh, Brother Tim has, I believe, a great sermon as we talk about the fig tree that will address those same issues. Activity, whether it's Bible reading, prayer, or whatever, does not equate to discipleship and worship. One of the things I've really appreciated about our uh, decision-making process as a church, and specifically as the leadership group, the elders of the church, uh, we do have a lot of uh, responsibility to make some decisions about ministry activities, uh, programming. And one of the things that we regularly do, and I think this is this should be we should be thinking about always personally how we do this. How is this going to help us fulfill our mission? Mm-hmm. And of course, that means that we have an idea of what our mission is, but the idea of how is this activity going to promote and develop and further develop and further enhance our mission as a church. Exactly right. And hopefully that mission is not just the transfer of information right. or a place to meet other Christians, though those are both good things. But the mission, and, and it's, it's, it's the gospel. It's introducing people to Jesus Christ and his life-changing message. And if those events are somehow getting away from that, then we've exchanged that which is holy for that which is common. Great, great, I appreciate that. Well, John, you ended the message with uh, your big idea statement, you called it. You shared, and I'm quoting here again, the king who brings salvation to the nations should be praised. And you followed that quote up, or that idea up, with noting that in order to praise Jesus properly, first of all, I've got to understand rightly my need and the depth of my need. Secondly, I must understand rightly who Jesus is and what he's done and everything about Jesus that I can understand. Can you give us some other practical tips on how we might be able to maintain both of those right understandings? Well, of course, 
The easiest way to maintain that understanding is the regular exposure to the gospel. And we see the gospel in the Lord's Supper. We hear the gospel in the testimonies um, that are shared on the videos. We hear the gospel in when the word is preached from uh, the pulpit. And so what we have to do is regularly expose ourselves to the gospel. You can't partake of the Lord's Supper where you are, in essence, living out in, in pictured form the fact that Jesus died, that his blood was spilled, that his body was broken on our behalf, and not recognize your need for that body to be broken and that blood to be spilled. And for us to do that now pretty much every other week, it's that regular exposure to the gospel. Now we have to to be careful that it doesn't become so common <laughs> that we don't recognize the meaning, just as singing songs that are expressing these truths. But when we pause long enough to realize what is being communicated in, in the Lord's Supper, what is being communicated in those testimonies that are given, what is being communicated when Pastor Tim or Pastor Chris or Trent or anyone is regularly uh, exposing that word, then uh, we are being exposed to who we are and who Jesus Christ is. Do you think that maybe we've lost in our culture something we uh, this culture here that we're we're studying right now uh, in Jesus time and certainly before Christ in the Old Testament was an oral tradition culture much of it was an oral tradition culture they they talked they they spoke they taught these kids these stories this is where our family came from we don't do that as much. In fact, I was—I'm uh, a amateur genealogist. I love looking up my family's uh, history and trying to find new little tidbits. There are a couple of, of uh, routes, a couple of uh, branches on my family tree. I just don't know much about. Maybe the Lord's keeping me from something. I don't know. That that may be a good thing. But the fact is, I don't know that much, and, and I wish I knew more. We've, we've lost a lot of that, and I think the, the concept there of having that deep understanding of where we've come from really is important and the, the depths from which we've come. A phrase that we see in the Old Testament a lot, and you think of like the book of Joshua and the book of uh, Judges, where they say, remember, remember, mm-hmm. remember. And it's reminding us that, who are we? Or even the Passover that the people were celebrating annually was that they might remember who they are as a people. And the New Testament version of that, of course, is our Lord's Supper. We've got this new meal where we're a new family that have been formed uh, by our common relationship to Jesus Christ. And it's remembering that story. And what is it that formed us as a community? Mm. As I'm saying, it's this gospel message, rehearsing that gospel regularly. We hear, that is, people don't usually come to church and hear that adultery is wrong and turn to their spouse or something and say, wow, I never knew that. (laughs) We, We know the truth, but we need to constantly be exposed to that truth and reminded that we are fallen creatures and that no one is good, no, not one. No one seeks after God, but we have a God who has pursued us, a God who loves us, or as I read from Psalm 18 this morning, a God who delights in us. Mm. What an incredible thought. And that's our God, and that's who we are. Isn't that great? And uh, I keep going back. I've mentioned this once or twice here in the past number of months, but I remember one of our earlier podcast episodes, Jeremy Kimball, and he had said it from the platform. I asked him about this, and he gave the story. He went to his children and asked, how am I doing as a dad? And then they told him. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it just reminded me of how important it is to listen to my wife, listen to my children, uh, sometimes my grandchildren, and say, how's, how's dad doing? How am I doing, honey? Uh, how's pops doing, grandchildren? And really listen, because they will tell you, and sometimes they'll tell you without words. Uh, even just by the way they're treating you or, you know, coming up to you or not coming up to you. Uh, we need to be attentive to those who know us best. That's a sanctifying presence of others in our life. Thanks, Bart. Well, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on, getting down to it. Uh, John, you, you referenced some things Tim Cockrell is going to be sharing with us next week, but he's going to be taking us through, as I understand, the end of Chapter 21 next week on Sunday. Uh, more confrontation with the religious leaders, more teaching. Share some ideas or some thoughts as to how we might be preparing better for that particular sermon and that study. You know, for me, it's reading those stories. Uh, And the good thing is in Matthew's gospel, we're dealing with narratives. Uh, There's going to be a couple of parables. And and the good thing is when you read the parable, you're not trying to figure out, wonder what he means by this. They're going to be fairly self-evident parables. But if you already have the stories in your mind, as he begins to tell them and then make his points and his application, those are going to resonate with you. So uh, for me, I would just say read Matthew 21. Don't be looking up commentaries. Don't be seeing what uh, John Piper had to say about it. Just <laughs> read the Word of God. and Numerous then, times. And then come excited to hear what God's going to do through uh, Tim's preaching. And, John, I just I think uh, we would be remiss if we didn't add to what you just said. Great, great advice. And that is whether you're here at Grace Baptist Church or at another church, maybe you don't have a church. Find some place to be. Uh, take advantage of the opportunities. If you're a Grace Baptist Church member or attender, make sure that you get to an adult Bible fellowship. Make sure that you're interacting with other people. That's how I learn uh, best, typically, is discussing it talking it through it gets in my brain and then it comes out in my actions the community is one of the graces of god and it's in community uh, small groups or whatever it is that god uh, pours out his grace on us and sharpens us and changes us to be who we are shouldn't be lost that the church is christ god's uh, chosen organism to represent him well john thanks so much for being here with us great to have you thank you very much John Tarwater has been my guest this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon. That's from chapter 21 of Matthew's Gospel. And you can access that message as well as other Grace Baptist Church sermons and podcast episodes on your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next week as we continue our discussion of God's Word in Matthew chapter 21. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.